Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. I actually hope <laughs> that our opinions um, and our points of view and our conversations and our dialogues will actually open up the truth of what's true for you. You're listening to Waking Up in America Dynamic Radio Dialogues on Vital Issues. In our 21st year of radio, we are inviting you, our listeners, angels, sponsors, whoever is out there that would like to participate in your neighborhood to actually broaden the reach of this show. So if you have any ideas or you want to get a hold of a guest or a member of staff, call our new toll-free number at 866-604-9966. That's 866-604-9966. That number, once again, is 866-604-9966. And if you want to send me an email during this program... I'd love to receive it, and if we can work it in, we'll read your email on the air. And you would send that email to Val, V-A-L, at wakingupinamerica.com. Once again, that's Val, V-A-L, at wakingupinamerica.com. And to get things started off today, let's remember what our forefathers offered us. I'd like you to take your hand and put it over your heart and... We're going to pledge allegiance. So I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic. Please notice the word republic, for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I'm Dr. Val Kirkgaard, and in 1984, I carried the Olympic torch. And if you've ever carried the Olympic torch, you know that once that torch is ignited, the flame never goes out for you, and you can never put it down. So today, I invite you to light your torch and to join the standards held forth by all bearers of this 2,000-year-old flame, which is Sitius, Altius, Fortius, swifter, higher, and stronger. And what I'm inviting listeners to do is to take advantage of the times that we're in because we can get kind of lazy. I was trying to remember who had the best quote on lazy. I think it was Helen Keller. Unfortunately, I don't recall exactly how it went. Perhaps one of our guests remembers, but... We have a tendency to sit around until something really starts to peak us. And if you're not getting peaked at this point, watching CNN last night, I saw that if the Congress approves the $700 billion buyout to protect all of the companies that have been, I believe, badassing is correct on the radio. I don't believe there is a term against that, who have been badassing and raking in huge profits. Now these poor things that gave themselves $140 million bonuses and things mm-hmm. like that are now asking the American public that's, I don't know if it includes dogs and cats, but it does include children, and it would average out that every American person, I'm going to put it into the person because I don't think they were putting dogs into it, that every American person is going to bear $2,300 that's going to be their share of all these little nice things that the leaders of the different companies have done. So why on earth would we be bailing this out? Now, hey, we've had some amazing people on this program, all the way from taekwondo champion Mary Louise Zeller to the very solar Mr. Hagman 
to J.J. Virgin, who's a nutritionist, and every one of them brings a unique point of view and an interesting way of perceiving and advancing what's actually happening here on the planet. So you're going to be very, you're going to smile big because I got you two good ones today. Taki Garofalos is president of Evolve Your Wealth, and he asked the question, does your clarity of purpose, how much you care, and what you care about radiate like a beacon drawing others to you, like moths to a flame. Evolve Your Wealth is the first to provide steward-style programs for high-net-worth individuals and serves as a sinusure <laughs> for premium one-club financial education and the creation of purposeful legacies. I left that word in, sinusure, because uh, I didn't know what it was, and I love to know what things are, and I thought you might too, so I'll tell you. A sinusure is a person who... Sinosure, he'll correct it for me, I'm sure, is a person or a thing that is the center of attention or admiration. And one of the things that we're going to be touching on today is sounds like there's no room for the average person in that conversation. Well, you'll find out how mistaken you are when Taki starts to tell you about the possibilities of stewardship. Now, if you say Barbara Marks Hubbard, that name sounds familiar, you bet your Red Rider she was actually nominated it was 1984, wasn't it, Barb? That's correct, yes. She's nominated as... I did meet Geraldine Ferraro, by the way. Oh, you did? I did. She was very cool, but I would have been much more fun for this story if it had <laughs> been you. <laughs> you know how I do love that. I do. Now, Barbara has actually helped create a field of consciousness evolution, and she's she has humanityascending.com in, in Santa Barbara. Um, Taki is EvolveYourWealth.com, and he's from the San Francisco area. But what these two people have in common is they know that we have to create a higher conversation than the one that we're currently having to actually have consciousness evolve. So with that, one of the things that we said that we would talk about today is wealth and community. And gosh, Barbara, um, would you like to say more about what you're up to with regards to wealth and community in this area. Well, I'm, I'm up to building a next level of community, and I have, over the years, developed a process that basically looks at every community based on its functions, like health, education, economics, science and technology, arts and media, and then looks at what people want to create in those areas and how to connect people's passions to create. Do you actually have a scale of how well you think humanity is going in these different areas? You didn't, you didn't quite uh, finish. Let me finish. So my building of community is to work at the next level of a more cooperative democratic process of connecting people so that they can match needs and resources and create greater synergy, greater cooperation. That leads to greater abundance, to more energy, and we're in an oppositional society where we're losing energy constantly over oppositional forces or misuse of power, like in the current uh, breakdown. So I am building community through greater cooperation and creativity joining. Now, when you do that, Barbara, and you build that community, and all of these things are going on, as, as we were addressing earlier, the $2,300 per person, the deaths, the wars that seem endless, the, 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 the weather, the entire thing, how do you actually reach out? Do you have a special way that you reach out and connect with people in this? Well, uh, people are actually building this 
uh, wheel of co-creation in different ways right now. I, I did a lot of those conferences in my earlier years, and I thought I was retiring, Val, <laughs> when people started to want to do it again. And uh, in my foundation, we have a whole section called Design, and there are about six or eight major groups, like the American Citizen Summit being done by Joseph McCormick, to invite three people from every congressional district, district left, right, and center, to come to a summit to see how to get beyond the polarization. And he wants to use that SINCON wheel as a model of the way people can create together. So I think democracy itself is challenged by its oppositional mode, by a financial structure that builds in scarcity and misuse of power, and that through the entire range of things, including global warming and environmental breakdown, people are going to be forced to collaborate and cooperate or actually fail. Mm. I was actually thinking about the difference. Do you, would you tell us the difference between a democracy and a republic? Well, I mean, I think a democracy, that we don't really have either. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were talking. We have more of a, of a plutocracy now because it's gone into so much opposition and so much power concentrated in the hands of so few that, that we really have lost it. And I personally think that the uh, social networking that's going on in, in health, in education, in new monetary systems, in open money systems, in uh, new energy systems, that people are actually connecting with each other, mainly not as government change so much as co-creating at a new systemic level. And I think Obama, in the way that he fundraised and the way he built such a grassroots organization, is a model of how we could actually have a grassroots co-creative democracy. It seemed to me like Dennis Kucinich was, too. Um, I'm looking right here at plutocracy, and I'm going to read it to our listeners. Okay. Okay, so plutocracy is a noun, and it's government by the wealthy. A country or society governed in this way, an elite or ruling class of people whose power derives from their wealth. Now, I'm going to go you now, Taki, Mm -hmm. because the people that you're working with and involve your wealth are the antithesis of these wealthy people, am I correct? Um, Certainly. It's it's really about how how does one is able to create and how does one play a role in social responsibility. And what we really work with, um, even if someone has an extreme amount of wealth, many times that wealth is passed down or is inherited or they fall into it, and they might not really know how to use it. So what we do is we, we steward individuals in terms of how to really think of themselves. How do they, can they have an impact in this? And, and there's always a choice, I believe. We always have choices in life, whether we choose it for the good or for, for maybe not so good in what we do. And really we, we facilitate, we hold them by the hand and, and show them the options in terms of how to think as social entrepreneur, being, meaning how does one relate with their wealth to their greater community, to their family? How do they impact their legacy? How do they impact their community? So it's really about using wealth in a, in a way that is holistic and in a way that truly advances society, mankind, and evolution. Well, you know, when we got started with this country and when our founding fathers talkie, 
they actually said that we were a republic. And a republic is a state in which supreme power is held by the people and their elected representatives and which has an elected or nominated president rather than a monarch. So we're definitely not a republic anymore. Mm-hmm. So we've got ourselves a little monarch here. Now, we're the question... Pardon? <laughs> we're masquerading as a republic. <laughs> you were masquerading. Well, why do we call ourselves a democracy? How did we lose republic and turn into democracy? Well, we're not really even that. I know, but how did that... Wasn't that an attempt to, like, dilute it somehow? The republic? I don't think so, because we have the electoral college, so we don't really have a one-person, one-vote um, either. Right. So, what? gosh... Yeah. You have a new word for us, Barbara? <laughs> We're a hybrid here, but I have a, a word for what I think we should become. Yes, okay, great, because I know you wanted to create, I like Dennis Kucinich, because you both wanted to make the vice presidency a department of peace. Well, I, I think that we could become a more synergistic democracy, which is a democracy that's more cooperative. And, see, I just want to tell you, this is, the Department of Peace by Dennis Kucinich is a uh, a government department in the executive branch that has to be passed by Congress, which is a wonderful idea because it's, it's for nonviolence at all levels. Now, I propose a peace room in the, in the vice presidency to map, track, and connect what's working. I liked it a lot. Now, that is different than, than their complementary activities, but the thing about a peace room where you use Internet to identify where are innovations actually working at all levels, in all sectors. And then you begin to um, actually connect what's working. You see there is already a new world emerging. And that, is, it's, not, it's not that we have solved everything, but we've solved more than we know because there is a lot that works. And I think part of democracy now is to identify what works, and we have created something, uh, Val, a new thing called Citizen Solution Council. Citizen Solutions Council? Yes, and we're proposing that the next president actually create a Citizen Solution Council within their office, have a council for solutions, and have people feed to the president, and also at the local level, and whatever ever possible on TV, what, what's emergent, what's creative at the citizen level. I think that's a great idea, Barbara. I also believe, though, before things actually, as we know, the bureaucracy and for things to get passed through Congress sometimes takes time. Um, I still believe that in what we teach and what our philosophy is, is that in, at the end of the day, it's still about what do you do to create things. And I think it needs great. to start in, in a systemic level. This is perfect. Amongst our communities. And this is what we teach is that, People, if individuals, whether they have money, they don't have money, doesn't make a difference. Taki, hold it right there because we have to tease them. That's how you do it on the radio. (laughs) You just tease the heck out of them so that we'll come back to this because we're on the air with um, Barbara Marks Hubbard and Taki Garofalos, and we're going to tease you because he's going to tell you about it after we do the break here. So what we really need to do is we really need to acknowledge the good guys and the good women who are the people that actually keep... Um, Stardose and us all happening here on the radio. Stardose is actually an internet mailing community of over 200,000 people, people that you would really like to have emails show up. And this 200,000 people a week 
that's what we're doing with Stardose right now on the radio show. So more and more of you will be hearing about us, but it's also an excellent place. You have no idea of how much good they've done for my business. So if you have an announcement you want to make in the world, like last week when we were walking, working with Bob Dumas, his brother, who's been in a POW camp for 58 years now, we think it's time to get him out. So he's been working 12 hours a day for 58 years in a mine, and we're actually going to use startups, and we're actually going to send out an appeal to people to start putting pressure on the government to bring back our POWs from the 1950s. Can you get it? So startups is helping us with that. Um, Roberto's Bungalows, if you've had enough of all of this conversation and you just want to hit the border and disappear to the beach in Mexico, boy, do I have a spot for you. It's 45 minutes north of Puerto Vallarta if you have a fast foot. And uh, what can I tell you? It's an idyllic Mexican community that's about 30 or 40 years ago. It feels like in time the people are charming. You'll know you'll have friends on the street within the first day, and you stay at Roberto's Bungalows with this charming enclosed courtyard with Steve and Diana. And these people are fabulous. I stay with them every time I go. Their telephone number is 971-239-4120. So you're going to call Stardust at 826 826- Six six five zero four one one, and then you're going to go call Roberta's Bungalows and say, oh, my God, I just need a couple of days in your beautiful place. So their number, once again, is 971-239-4120. And then if you feel like you're a little tired and you'd like to get yourself really juiced up, and I mean in a healthy way, call me and ask me about Mona B at 310-459-4824. That's 310-459-4824. I totally love the stuff, and I'll tell you more about it. So we're on the air with Barbara Marks Hubbard, Taki Garofalos, Humanity's Evolution in Wealth and Community. And Taki, it's, now it's time to give them the punchline. <laughs> Hopefully I can deliver on the punchline yeah, now. Yeah, now you can deliver on the punchline. <laughs> you have to keep them with That's how you do it. You know, you just tease the heck out of them. They love it. Perfect. Um, so what I was saying, is, and, and to your listeners today, is that it's really about how do we create, whether we have a lot of money or we have a little bit of money, it doesn't really make a difference. It's the fact of what do we do to choose. Like the main key word here is create. What do we choose to create on a daily basis? We could have a systemic impact just amongst ourselves first. The fact that we start shifting of the way that we're thinking of how we're showing up and our thoughts within ourselves, and we slowly gravitate like moths to a flame, in the same way, we start creating internal communities. We have lost the art of communication. We've lost the art of conversation. We've lost the art of listening. We... Going up to our leaders is fantastic, and that's what's part of democracy. But the reality of democracy starts within ourselves. It starts with our own volition and our own, our own need to connect with those around us. And that can be as simple as with our neighbors to where we, where we normally spend time, whether it's religious groups or whether it's, uh, it's business groups, whether it's I, I, I social groups. This I get what, what you're talking about. about there. You know, you touched on something about about how we've lost something. Barbara, you know, I was thinking about how we used to write each other letters. Yes. We have this idea that if we send an email, somehow it's all done. And I think there's a, some kind of like superficiality of consciousness that goes on. I, maybe the desire is to be able to handle everything, well, something of that nature. But do, I agree. I, I have been reviewing my archives, and up till email, I have these wonderful letters. It's a, a 
copies of them and that I wrote and people wrote to me. Right. And then it completely stopped. So I think somehow we're lost in here mm-hmm. as well. And I don't know if you want to comment on that, but um, somehow, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've made a deal that I've started to write little, at least notes. Well, you know, I, it's amazing about communication because there are tremendous breakthroughs of a different order, like cell phones and texting, which transcend media, transcend nation-state barriers, where people can assemble and communicate completely independent of existing systems. And even though it's not in-depth writing, I wonder if it's not the next stage of evolution. You know, I actually had somebody on the radio show about five years ago, and they and they were about fountain pens and writing paper. Mm. And it was one of my favorite shows of all time. I love cranes, personally. Well, I, I just have, like writing on cranes, you know? I have journal. I have 168 volumes of journals in black artist notebooks written in pens. There you go. Uh, now, I, I didn't do that, and I have to tell mm-hmm. you something. I am in so much regret. You have no idea. So one of the things that I did do, however, Barbara and Taki, is I went to my 50th reunion last Saturday. Now, I hadn't gone to any of the others, so it's been 50 years since I'd seen these people. And it was really interesting to walk into the room and make connections and have human interaction take place and actually end up dancing with Claudia Shirko. I always thought was cool. And having a marvelous time with Murray McLeod, who had moved away when I was in junior high school, and I found out um, <laughs> that he was married to Stephanie Edwards, and we ended up talking. And we're going to do some radio together. And it was just like really something to put myself back in connection. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking, talking about the connection mm-hmm. and Barbara, you too. Mm-hmm. It's like, are we even really connected? Well, I think people are bringing back things like the salons, where I love dinner parties with deep mm-hmm. conversation, and I agree with you. Conversation is just the best. Right. So this is one of the reasons why I started Waking Up in America 21 years ago. And if people go into our archives, um, we're having the website updated and it's not totally done. You will see that some of the most interesting people in the world have showed up here and had conversations. So I know very well that we can change something. That's one of the reasons why I decided to see if I could expand the the listenership of the show. I've done more in the last year than I did in the first 20 because I just thought it was a cool thing. I was on the radio in Redondo Beach. I had 80,000 listeners. By the way, most of the listeners to Waking Up in America during the early years were men on cell phones. So I do not think that. I think that there are thinking people out there and there are people that are wondering how they got caught up in what they're caught up in. And that they'd really like to hear something that helps lead them out of the catacombs. And Barbara, if you were leading somebody, if if you heard a voice calling to you, Barbara, from the catacombs, like help, how do I get out of here? What would you say? Well, you know, I've often thought I'm in a new catacomb. The new catacomb is building the new world. <clears throat> now, the early catacombs with the very early Christians, they were builders of a new world right there in the Roman Empire. They were, weren't they? They were, and they gathered in small circles, and they shared everything, and they were amazing, and they were in the catacombs. And I think people like myself and you are in the catacombs of the next stage of evolution. Well, that's really interesting. I don't know if you ever saw Michelangelo's slaves or not from the catacombs, did you? Have you ever seen them? I don't think so. They're really pretty amazing. They're... um, 
they had to peel me off one at the Louvre because I was so taken with the muscles and the legs and things like that. And it was just like you're not supposed to touch them. I couldn't help it. the The figures were so powerful. But what was interested it what was interesting is that the slaves that he did for the catacombs had no heads, to, so to speak. Like it wasn't about the brain. Oh, I see. It was it the actually the arms and the head all blended into the ceiling of the catacomb. So you have, like, maybe up to the third eye, and then the rest of it, the hair and everything, would bleed it uh, into the ceiling. And I was struck by the fact that it wasn't about... I mean, he's such a man who represented symbolically so many different things that I felt that he was representing was that it isn't about what we think. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. That it is about what we create as far as energy and spirit are concerned. And I know that we've talked very intellectually today, but that if you were... When I saw your film, I was um, Humanity Ascending. Mm-hmm. I gave you a check that day. Yes. Okay. I said here. Yeah. You know, because oh. I saw, and what was in that film that made me? Do you know what made me write your check? No. It was the thing where you were talking about the butterfly. Mm-hmm. Okay, and maybe you'd share that with our listeners because I ne- I knew the first part. About the butterfly. You know how if you cut the cocoon, the butterfly will die? Yes. I knew that part. But tell them the rest, Barbara, because that's what I thought. If humanity gets this, then let me give a check for that. Well, thank you about the the biological fact is that within the body of the caterpillar, little discs called imaginal discs come in that are holding the image of the butterfly, and then they become cells, and the immune system of the caterpillar is trying to destroy them. Meanwhile, they're proliferating anyway, and they get to a point of being so many of these imaginal cells in the body of the dying caterpillar that eventually the caterpillar surrenders, and the, the, the actual imaginal cells join and create out of the dying body of the caterpillar the butterfly. And I think that out of the dying body of a society that is so is, is ready to take its next step, that the imaginal cells, like you and me and hundreds of millions of us, are holders of images through our creativity. And I really agree with you here, Dossi. It's our creativity. Mm-hmm. But we're drawn to join to create uh, those aspects of a new world that is in our passion. Well, we're, we're coming back to this, and I, I hate to stop you here, but you can do another hook line if you'd like, Taki, because we're going to take I a break. I was going to say my next hook line would be that this is very much tied to what you said, Val, and what you said, Barbara, that it's really about t- touching into our and honing into our third eye. So that's the first hook that I'll leave, and uh, I'll let you go to commercial <laughs> break. I mean, you know, it's true, too. When you go to his website and you check out com, you're going to find that old third eye just sitting over there. But right now, because I'm such a generous host, I've arranged a divine transmission for you. So um, if you would be so kind, Hector, as to give us our divine transmission, I'm sure we'll all just enjoy it tremendously. live in a world that is more alive with possibility than ever before in history. Yet it is easy to get lost in the confusion and chaos of such an accelerated world. How do we stay connected and aligned with the unlimited potential that lies within us 
and soar in these exciting yet challenging times. Diamond Alignment, a sacred technology for the 21st century, offers high-speed connection and alignment with this divine power within, both convenient and profound. The six-minute multi-sensory diamond experience delivered via the internet clears your mind, relaxes your body, and creates inner peace no matter what is going on around you. The Diamond Alignment Experience effortlessly keeps you charged with joy and equanimity and greater focus and clarity throughout your day. When you experience the expansive energy of Diamond Alignment, you activate the unlimited wealth and potential within you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I've known Jacqueline Joy for um, a long time, and I was part of her developing this process, and it's very interesting to play this on the radio every week, and I wouldn't miss it because diamond alignment and alignment is what we're all about. We're about aligning with what Taki is referring to. We're about aligning what Barbara's talking about because you can tell when they talk. There's... You're hearing the truth. It's not you're not being sold anything. You're being offered a point of view that's got a lot of truth in it, and you'll recognize the truth because it makes you feel comfortable, <laughs> or it makes you feel uncomfortable. But you know it's true. It's just like that rings true to me. So I'm curious, Taki and Barbara. I always feel my shoulders relax when I hear that transmission. I was wondering if it, either of you were um, affected by it. Oh, it was beautiful. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Taki, what about you? Could you feel them? Absolutely. I, I mean, just, just I just let my mind just wander off, and I could feel the back of my brain just kind of just taking a little uh, t- a quick uh, thirty second nap. So, it's a good recharge. Yeah, there you go. And anytime you want that recharge, Jacqueline's been very generous, and we've actually arranged to have that diamond alignment on the website. So when you go to wakingupinamerica.com, you can actually click into the Diamond Alignment logo and you'll actually be able to hear that tone. And it's available in different amounts. I happen to do the monthly where I get it renewed every month. And it just puts me into a whole different space. It's very interesting. If you listen to some of the radio shows, you'll actually hear the people sound different after the half hour. Some of them do. Some of them manage to hold on to whatever it is that they're carrying around with them. Others, you can you can tell that they let themselves be affected by divine transmission. And in case you're doubting or you're wondering what's going on here, I really think that we're all capable and very able to work through divinity or divine transmission or call it the light or anything that you want to call it, and we just have to actually like let that in. Barbara, I have no idea what your frequency level is, but I just bet it's more than the average 20,000. I don't know about that, but I do want to tell you that years ago I wrote a book called Emergence, The Shift from Ego to Essence, and now there's a new group on Internet called Alive Guide, 
and they've taken my book and they're they're putting it on internet. I think it'll be coming out this fall, where you can actually do it on internet and join with the community and write your journal. Um, it's a wonderful idea of actually participating on internet. So it's aliveguide.com. Yes, aliveguide. Oh, I appreciate that. Okay, Taki. Now you can unhook them. <laughs> Perfect. So um, thank you, Val. So really our third eye is, is our eye that's been atrophied. It's the sixth chakra. It's the intuition. And what this is important about is about really trusting our intuition to create. So you were talking about, I mean, how in the, in the 80s or 90s you had your first 80,000 Redondo Beach, most of the listeners were, were men on cell phones. And people searching for types of communities of where they could continue this evolutionary process. Well, I believe that what this is about is about really trusting our third eye, trusting our intuition of what we're seeking and not repressing it. What we've done is we've ended up repressing our thoughts. So we, a thought might come to us to create something and we'll actually stifle our own thoughts or self-sabotage ourselves and put some other thing into priority as opposed to create. And this is what this little steps which are important towards creating this, this greater creation together as a community. So once again, it's how do we create more wealth? How do we create more holistic approach to things? How do we create more health? How do we create more evolutionary process like what Barbara is talking about and what she's empowered with in the world? This is what the third eye is about, and this is where we have to tune into that and allow that intuition to really blossom from in ourselves and allow the creation to really ooze out of us. So right now, okay, you're talking very intelligently, and everybody knows that you're the president of, of Evolve Your Wealth, okay? Okay. But what they don't know is that you have a firsthand view of people altering consciousness because you are an amazing NLP programmer. Well, thank you, Val. And I think you. you should say something about that because I do a, I, I myself do a, um, a process called directed breath, and I have the same kind of experience you do, Taki, where somebody's holding on to some position, like, I hate my mom, I hate my dad, whatever they're holding on to. And you take them through the process, mm-hmm. and that point of view changes. Right. So it's if you don't like it, listeners out there, if you don't like your point of view, there are people that can definitely help you with that. And Taki's one of them. I happen to be one of them, too. You can call me at 310-455-8623. Where would they call you? Uh, they could call me at 702-989-0793. And, Barbara, if somebody said, look, I just can't stand it. I just have to do the Republic with you. I'm ready. I'm ready to fund your next film. How would they get a hold of you? They can do me on email if they want to, bmh at evolve.org. That's pretty terrific. That's, so that's BMH. And in case you forget what BMH is, it's Barbara Marks Hubbard. That's a clue. You can go to our website at wakingupinamerica.com and um, get the connections there. You know, Barbara, Humanity Ascending, uh, I loved it. Um, what's, what's your current film and what's happening with that? Well, Humanity Ascending is the title of a series, and the first one that you liked was Our Story. That's the 14 billion year story that results in us being born as a more universal co-creative humanity. The current one that's in production is called Visions of a Universal Humanity. And the question is, what is our shared vision of what we can be when we are spiritually, socially, and scientifically motivated to create 
a better world. And that vision, I interviewed about 12 key visionaries in science and biology and social action to catch hold of the vision because, you know, without vision, people perish. No, that's true. It's, it's really interesting because while you're talking, it's making me think, did, did you happen to see the special on um, happiness? No. Okay, there was actually a special on happiness. It was on CBS or NBC, and I'm going to say maybe three or four months ago. Mm-hmm. And it was the happiest countries in the world. By the way, the U.S. isn't on the chart. The most miserable, for some odd reason, is um, Iraq. Um, <laughs> the most happiest country in the world is Denmark. Mm-hmm. Second most happy country in the world, interestingly, or city in the world, is Shanghai. Can you believe that? Wow. Because that struck me because I know that there's a certain, I'm going to call, I don't know of a better word, but a certain toughness or brutality mm-hmm. in Chinese justice. Mm-hmm. So how could it be with that that the citizens of China, especially in the Shanghai area, could rate themselves as such happy people? And it was very interesting because their vision was is that they needed somebody to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they, and the, Chinese rules, while harsh, were known to the people. Mm-hmm. So they weren't working inside of, will I get in trouble if I do this? It's like, if you do this, you'll get in trouble. And they knew that. There's so, a lot of order there. There was a lot of order, and that tended to make them happy, too. But what was interesting was the Danish, on the other hand, they didn't have that same kind of thing, but they were well taken care of when it came to health and retirement. Mm-hmm. And they didn't mind putting almost half of their income into it because they knew there would be no issue. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like the Danish version, but I was shocked. Well, I actually heard something, Val, and I don't know if this is correct. Maybe one of your listeners could confirm that. I heard that because Shanghai is such a new city and how it's, 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 it's exploded in terms of construction, I believe a lot of feng shui principles were used in, in the actual planning, the city planning. And I do believe that energetically there is a factor there that influences that there's no dead-end energies. That's fantastic. I think think there might be something as well with that. I don't believe it's just the the rules of law. I certainly think that it has an impact. I love the feng shui. Energetically, if we even think about cities like Washington, D.C., as well, there's some energy centers as well within Washington, D.C. as well, and as well as other major cities, even the, the pyramids in Egypt. So, I believe in that way, that's sometimes what aligns, our, what aligns us as individuals and then with our communities and then globally and with our, within our cities as well. Mm, that's an interesting idea. It is. It is very interesting, and it shows that, once again, too, I actually kind of lean more towards what you're saying because I don't know if you know this or not, Barbara, but they did a um, – Germany did this thing where they played classical music in their worst neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and the crime rate changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. So – there well, is one something. of the things I heard from a person who's really knowledgeable on cities, that what makes a good city is a commons. The commons? Yes. When they have a place where people can meet each other mm-hmm. easily, naturally, without having to you know, drive miles or make dates, the sociability in the city is cultivated naturally. Huh. Right. And this is what makes it interesting that what we're trying to do now in, in, in our modern cities that we live here in North America is that what now the typical individual does is flock to a neighborhood cafe, and that becomes our common area because we no longer have many common areas anymore, and that becomes our center. And then that center then becomes when we connect online, 
and we're moving into emails, into virtual worlds now, and, and going to, I'm going to be attending a virtual business expo now in Sydney out of my computer in two days from now. So our world just connecting in a different way, and these are our common places now that we're connecting, and we're, as humans, we're trying to create that once again, and we're creating that by going to these centers and recreating it in that way. It's true, and here's another interesting idea. I have a friend here in Santa Barbara who has um, Foundation for Collaborative Communities, and there were some gang killings in Santa Barbara right in front of Saks Avenue. Oh, my gosh. Shocking to the community because it thought it was a peaceful and well-run community. The fact is there's a lot of gang activity, gang violence, and so this friend um, in this foundation, I'm on the board of it, went into the neighborhood and then went into the families and actually met the kids and found out why they were in gangs. And one of the reasons is gang is community. Right. Uh, and it it's conversation. And, and so the police and all the uh, apparatus was trying to put it down when actually my friend is saying, you, you either have to treat it like an insurgency and kill it or, or you have to cultivate it. Right, and this is what's important about what you're just saying, Barbara, is that it's about reframing the context of what we see. What we might see as a gang is really what you just explained is really a community. And what is that? It's really about individuals that are seeking hope, they're seeking communication, they're seeking conversation, and they're seeking to be listened to. And they're reacting in 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 what is socially not correct. And, and so you, what he was saying is you don't try to get rid of the gangs. That's getting rid of community. But he has done some wonderful things like getting the gang members to help elderly people, mm-hmm. you know, take out their garbage or paint their houses and, and getting paid for that. Mm-hmm. The whole, and it's really very cute because this man is of, uh, from El, Sal- El Salvador. So they now think of him as head of the gangs. <laughs> wow, that's really terrific. <laughs> and there's a woman who's helping to work with him, and they think of her as the mafia mom. The mafia mom? <laughs> they actually love these two. These are our white people who are trying to help, but they are helping by actually seeing what is really needed, not trying to change everything. No, I, I, I totally love it. Hey, we're talking about um, the evolution of gang and looking at gang as community rather than something to hide hide behind the door on. Um, right now you're listening to Waking Up in America. I'm on the air with Barbara Marks Hubbard and Taki Garofalos, and um, we're delighted to have you. We invite you to join our website at wakingupinamerica.com and sign up for our video library and newsletter. They're free. <laughs> the videos are cool. We put new videos on the um, in the section all the time, and a couple more are coming. Uh, I'm I'm delighted about all of this. We also invite you to click on the Race for the Rainforest. Now, only two people a day can actually go in through the website. Actually, perhaps one, but when you click on it, you'll see how to sign up for Race for the Rainforest. And over the 20 years that I've been saving my seven square feet, you can do it once a day. Uh, actually, have you the opportunity to save American um, prairie, oceans, and God knows if you saw the LA Times article on oceans, it's horrifying the amount of plastic that's out there collecting on little islands in the Pacific and God knows where else. And you can save rainforest, and the rainforest is probably, I would have to say, it's the lungs of the planet. 
The rainforest produces 22% of the world's oxygen. You think, oh, that's a lot. Well, guess what? It used to do 33% until um, we went in there and started creating farmland out of it for all of the cows and things like that, and then we just chopped down some more trees. So a lot of what used to be in the rainforest, certain species of trees are now gone. You can actually participate in that and be a part of it. It doesn't cost you a thing. Do it on a daily basis and um, feel good about something. Just start writing little sevens on your wall. And after a year or so, you'll be amazed. And you can say, you know, I really made a difference in the rainforest. And then tell your friends about it, too. This is all stuff that doesn't cost anything, and that's... Part of what we were talking about was stewardship, and I'm going to ask Taki just a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, if you want an emotional clearing process that's profound, go to drvalerie.com, and that's D-O-C-T-O-R-V-A-L-E-R-I-E.com. This is how I got my honorary doctorate, and this is how I ended up in the different who's who's and things like that because I found a way to actually work with you that works in your electromagnetic field rather than in your story so my results happen way, way, way faster because I'm actually working in the field of physics. So it's it's fun. And uh, check it out. I'll give free demonstrations and you can reach me at 310-455-8623. So here we are. We're back with Taki and Barbara and they've just been giving us some wonderful evolution of community. Um, Barbara, while you were talking, I was looking up. Do you guys know who Edward James Almos is? No, I don't. Have you heard of him, Barb? What was that? Who was that? Edward James Almos. I just found out about what the guy did about a year ago, and I was blown away. No, I don't. Back when we were having the riots in the 90s here in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. um, George Bush Sr. was actually going to have martial law um, (laughs) declared in Los Angeles. Edward James almost lived in that area because there was just so much rioting and looting going on. And what he did was, towards the end of the riot, the same day that they were going to do martial law and do the whole trip, he got out in the street with a broom and started sweeping. (laughs) And you know what? The city, the area joined him, and they decided to cancel the martial law because what would they be doing, putting people away with brooms? That is so funny. I have to tell you a really funny story about, I was at the Democratic National Convention, and I was in one of the big uh, amphitheaters being interviewed by Marianne Williamson when suddenly the police came in and said, the protesters are coming, the protesters are coming. Evacuate. You've got two minutes to get out of this building. So Marianne and I, we had a TV camera. They were all rushing out of the building. And then Marianne said, hey, I'm a protester. Who are these people? And they cleared us away, and they had the SWAT teams, and and we found out later <clears throat> that they were Iraqi uh, veterans for peace, and that uh. they were, were just protesting to be heard. And what happened was Obama sent somebody to hear them, so there was no more protest. But the thing I, I I'd never seen it before: the police response to the possibility of protest. Huh. Well, you you noticed it in the elections, Barbara, you know? Yes, I mean, I've heard about it a lot. But I watch people being fenced off, things like that. But on a personal level, what you're touching on is so important. I mean, if we maybe one word that comes out of this program is to listen to each other. <laughs> my sister died two years ago. She is 63, okay? But my mom and my sister were alienated for, for years. In fact, mom told her not to live in the state of California. It wasn't big enough for both of them. 
Mm-hmm. And Pat would keep getting trying to get Mom to um, apologize for stuff that happened when she was a kid. Uh-huh. Finally, I called up Pat and I said, look, you know, she can't even remember what you want her to apologize for. <laughs> she doesn't even remember what happened. Oh. <laughs> it's just you're aggravating her, okay? And the point is, I know you want to have a nice conversation with Mom. So why don't you tell me all the stuff, because I'll probably remember at least half of it, right? (laughs) Two hours later, two hours later, I'm sitting there, and she's still going, and I go, is there anything else? Is there anything else? Is there anything else? And I said, Pat, I love you. I'm sorry for anything I did that was rotten, and let's just move on. Yeah, you know, it's so funny that I I have a nature where I can only remember what happened that I liked. <laughs> there you go. So here's what mom says. So mom calls me up right after this telephone conversation, right? And she goes, what would you do to her? I said, what do you mean what I do to her? She goes, she's different. I said, I listened to her for two hours. I said, it only took us 50 years, but I did it finally. I'm so sorry I didn't do this sooner. And that was it. That was the end of it. My mom died a couple of years later. They were fine. Pat was at the funeral. We did a great thing. Pat died two years ago. We were all fine, blah, 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 simply because she finally got a chance to tell her story. So Barack Obama gets 50 points for that. Yeah. That's really you know? And that's really what the conversation's about. This is what it is. It's really about us to listen to each other. We don't, we don't take time anymore to listen to any, anyone anymore, really. We're so preoccupied in, in whether it's at race or within our own thoughts that these are the dialogues that are powerful, and it's really about sharing. That's all we, we, we really want to do as humankind is in creating, we're sharing, we're exchanging ideas, and that's sometimes what is, is enough. It's just to be listened to and to be offered hope um, at the end of the day and, and reframe, and you gave, both of you gave an excellent example of reframing of, of what what do we do in a situation that seems very dire and seems that, you know, the worst-case scenario is about to happen? And whether it's someone pulling out a broom or it's turning on some classical music in Germany, um, it's easy to change our state. So it's about how do we change our state of mind and how do we do that quickly and effortlessly? And it's very easy. It's just a choice that we have to, we have to make. And I, many times when I work with clients, I just, you know, I even tell them that something as ridiculous as, you know what, Go make your bed. Yeah. Even if, you have somebody go ma- even if somebody else makes your bed for you, you go do your bed. Beat them to the punch and make your bed. Every and, day. Just you know? do that. And, and it's as simple as that because it just it, it brings back a certain amount of order, brings back a certain amount of control, and we feel good about ourselves. And you know, when Taki, we feel good about ourselves, we react in different ways that we perhaps we don't want to react in. I think the dirty laundry, I think that you're bringing out the dirty, there's so much dirty laundry, people haven't made their beds. I think you've nailed it. <laughs> if everybody in America starts to make their bed, if everybody in the world starts to make their bed, Barbara, what do you think the possibility is? Oh, that's <laughs> a good idea. It's true, though. It's like, it's very funny that you should say that, John, forgive me. But my son said to me that the most important thing that somebody said to him was to make his bed. And that he changed his 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 way of being about it once he saw that. And it was like, it didn't matter how many times he heard other things. When he started making his bed, his life changed. Oh, my goodness. Yep. So when we start to look at the beds we've made for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, how many, how many crumbs are in your bed that you don't like? <laughs> A lot. You know, I've got crumbs in my bed. You know what? 
for the radio show today. I was looking at my bed. There were crumbs in there this morning. And he went, this isn't good. I don't want to go on the radio with crumbs in my bed. So my sheets are actually being washed right now. <laughs> so it's funny how we evolve into this. But I know spirit is talking because it's truly about what crumbs have we left in our bed. And and um, you got any ideas besides a vacuum cleaner or a laundry barber for, for crumbs in the bed? No, I do not. <laughs> Tacky, do you have any clever you know, thing you'd I like to say? I think besides that, you know, just jump up and down and put some music on. Just change your mind if something's happening in a day. I mean, really just do that or just, you just go out and just connect with someone, really. Just connect with someone and just say thank you for something, I'll whatever tell you it something. might be. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Here's my recommendation here. I recommend that you put dance music on in the morning or something that makes you want to move and dance. Here's one of the things they discovered, guys. You know, I just love my little surveys. They discovered that if they play dance music in the grocery store or in the bars or in the restaurants, that people have a tendency to buy more. And I'm not suggesting that you put on dance music to buy more. I know that what it does is it actually gives people a sense of possibility that once they start moving and they're not into, oh, my God, my bones hurt so much or, gosh, I don't want to go to work or whatever that conversation is, that if we can go into some I love flute music. I mean, Barbara, what do you listen to when you want to lift yourself up? You know, my favorite one is Evangelist Chariots of Fire. There's something no. about that when I hear it that I just get totally lifted up, and, and um, I like that kind of music that is inspiring. You know, there was an album a couple of years ago that was actually the music of Nobel laureates. Uh-huh. Hmm. And I love that album. I just love that album. And it, was a lot of, it has a lot of violin music in it, things of that nature, a lot of flute music, whatever lifts it up. What we're here to tell you is that what you think you're thinking may not be the best you are. And, Taki, I had promised listeners we've got, like, about two minutes left. Do you want to just kind of give them more on personal stewardship? You know, Sure. Uh, what, what do you think your listeners would like to know specifically about? Well, I think a lot of people think that stewardship has to do with how wealthy you are. And I think that we can do things in our everyday practice. And one of them could be just to send Barbara an email and say, I'm here, how can I help? Right. Yes. And that would be called stewardship, at least in my book, Barbara. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And really, when we use the word stewardship, and you're correct, Val, it's not really about wealth. I mean, we talk about wealth in terms of that is a vehicle. We view wealth as a vehicle towards contribution. And whether wealth is, we mean in terms of creating an extra $10 or it's about creating $100 million, it's still wealth. We can't minimize or delegitimize in any way what we've created. So we have to be very grateful for what we've created within our realm. And stewardship is really about we are here on this earth um, in this time, and we are just facilitators. We just are holding on to something to pass it down to the next generation or to pass it vertically, horizontally, in whichever way we choose to look at at, at evolution. And what we do as, as stewards is really educate individuals of thinking beyond the box, thinking beyond outside of what are the possibilities of wealth and and how does one create that wealth in terms of just even stretching to create $10 Oop, There we go. That's the music. Hey, go to the website, wakingupinamerica.com, evolveyourwealth.com. Uh, I, I'm telling you, it's all there for you. We thank Barbara Marks Hubbard, and we thank Taki Garofalos for being here with us today. 
And we also thank all the folks at Voice America and to Pete Laubach, who has been incredible and is our chief technical officer. This program has been brought to you by the Golden Hearts Foundation in association with Kirkguard Media, our radio partners, ConeenCompany.com, Mona V, Max GXL, Dr. James Murphy and Memoriam, Nathan Jett, Rich Kepler, and Jeff Spinard and the team at Voice America and to Bent Not Migan for this music you're listening to. We're almost ordinary people, folks, and we can take that next step. Barbara will tell you so. Go to her website. Um, Barbara, give them your website. And Taki, give them your website one more time. Sure. EvolveYourWealth.com, or they could email me at wealth at EvolveYourWealth.com. Or you can hop right over to our website, and when you hop over to the website, you will see all the information on these folks. And um, you got a final word you want to say, Barb? Always follow your passion to create. Oh, they got the music a little bit loud. <laughs> follow your passion to create. There you go. Thank you. So thanks for listening, and if you guys would stick around for a couple minutes after the show, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Taki. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com, and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com.